0: let's find out what's going on in the background for these people and how do we discover that? And in this gentleman's case, it was from his assistant who was able to say, yeah, I do three pots of coffee through the day because that's what I'm giving you. That works out at 40 or five pots of coffee I have to refresh or I buy X amount of coffee each week to keep us going in the office.
1: And that comes down to asking the right questions and digging deeper.
0: Mentoring with Geraldine is a bite sized practitioner podcast for naturopaths, nutritionists, herbalists, coaches, and practitioners. This podcast responds directly to the needs of you, the practicing natural therapist. We have interviews during the holiday season and business and mindset support each week, so you'll get the variety you need to enjoy and stay motivated in your practice. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly episodes. And if you want to connect with me, always check the show notes, because that's where you'll find the links to book appointments, and of course, to join the Academy, the membership group, where there's constant connection and community with like-minded practitioners. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mentoring with Geraldine and the Bite Size podcast. How the devil are you? So we are really lucky to have Brad McEwen back with us again. As you know, the month of January and heading into February, because there's five of these, we are talking about mental health and how we can support our clients. Now, Brad, as he introduced himself last week, uh, has 25 years in this area, in naturopathy and herbal medicine and nutrition. He's got a PhD. He's done the whole nine yards. And today we're talking about the vital role of nutrition and mental health. And one thing I would like to show you all, if you are not a member of the atms well, there is the atms journal comes out quarterly. And in December's journal, we have the importance of nutritional and lifestyle medicine and mental health and well-being, a focus on depression. And guess who co-authored it with Tegan Martin? That would be our main man, Brad. We are going to be talking about things that were in this article. I mean the abstract pretty impressive. I like the abstract. I do have to finish reading it. I haven't quite finished reading it. I started the mag and then, you know, it's December. There was a lot happening. I haven't quite finished my mag. Mental health and well-being are critically and significantly important to everyone. Depression is a common, multifactorial, recurrent, debilitating health condition. Optimum nutrition and lifestyle medicine play major roles in improving mental health and well-being. This article aims to highlight the importance of mental health and well-being with focus on depression, and discusses the importance of nutritional medicine, diets, B vitamins. We talked about B vitamins last week, didn't we? Vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, omega-3, probiotics, and water. Lifestyle medicine, exercise, meditation, social, music, social interaction, yoga, and sleep, and the management of depression. So we are with the right guy because we're going to be looking at nutrition in mental health today and highlighting that profound connection with nutrition and mental health. And Brad is here to help us navigate some of this as practitioners. And if you're a member of the general public out there who's listening in, I hope that you're really gaining something from this and really thinking, hey, I can get help. People who understand all the facets, who are willing to look at everything that's going on with me, I could make that appointment with someone who knows what they're talking about, who can give me the other side to the coin. Because we can get the one side to the coin, we can get the medication. We can go to our exercise class or not. We can skip going out in the sun and take a vitamin D tablet, maybe, or we can go and see that person who's going to look at our whole life and our lifestyle and nutrition as a whole and that never been well since moment, that past moment. So let's really talk today about that nutrition and mental health. And thank you so much for joining me again, Brad, and let's host straight into it today.
1: Thank you very much for the introduction and Invitation as well. I will say I'm very excited again going into this part two, and excited. i got to hold myself back because there is so much information. Like we were saying, just from that one article, there's a lot of information available for us if we dig in deep enough for it. And sometimes people need to dig deep enough to get out of bed, which we talked about in episode one, where different levels of stress. So with this part of the uh, with this podcast episode, we're focusing on the vital role of nutrition particularly in, in mental health, and it's I don't want to say it's the be-all and the end-all because that's a little bit extreme, but like we were saying last time, what you put in is what you get out in regards to nutrition. So any kind of nutritional deficiency or insufficiency can lead to bigger problems later on that you won't possibly see for 5, 10, 20 years in some cases. So bringing into mental health and depression, we talked last time about, you know, MTHFR, we looked at sort of serotonin, tryptophan pathways and all these different mechanisms and just different ways on how we metabolize things effectively. And sometimes it might just need a single or combination of nutrients to upscale and upregulate those pathways. And a good example I like to sort of start with is the Krebs cycle. And people go, little oh, good chemistry, and it's like, I love it. So you've got the Krebs cycle and it's spinning around, pretend it's a cycle, like a turbine on a plane, it's the engine. And I always say to people, when you're flying and it's all going well, the plane's going well, and sorry for those who may be flying, when the engine stops, what happens to the plane doesn't go too well. It may glide for a little bit, but eventually something's going to go wrong. A little bit morbid, I suppose, for some people, but that's just the way it works with the Krebs cycle, that if the energetic pathways are not working properly, the cell the tissue, the organ, and the greater system gets affected over time. But you don't always notice it straight up. And that's the thing about what we like doing is, Health professionals, we talked about timelines last time. We look at like the different causes, the different elements, all the different side projects that's happening in people's lives that could actually be leading to their actual health issue. And sometimes it is that thing, there's my hand again, the thing on the side that's just sort of just sitting there just slightly and you can't see it, but the person can. And that's what's slowing them down. And that's something that we can pinpoint and start working with. And like we're saying, you know, last episode, people travel, people drive, people come and see you for what you can give to them. And that's something that we need to then turn around and say, right, what else can we give back to them? And nutrition's a very simple and complex way of doing it. Cause there's a lot of different interactions uh, that we can go with. So sort of diving right into it as, as you're yeah. saying, mood, food connection, the relationship between our food and mood. There's a lot of research, particularly in Victoria at Monash University and a number of others with Lise Jacker, Professor Lise Jacker, looking at different elements of food and mood and how they interrelate and how they interconnect. There's a lot of good research going there. What research, I found a paper years ago and I haven't been able to find it again. They found that when someone is highly stressed and emotional, they go back to something they liked in their childhood. And then maybe chocolate, chips, ice cream, or you know, something like that you tend to go back to that fallback food. And that's something I find interesting because in some people it's that connection of you felt good when you are fine or something like that. And it takes you back to that time. I don't have a problem with that. People say, I have an ice cream once a week. I'm like, honestly, it doesn't matter. But if they say I have an ice cream three, four times a day, or you know what I mean? Like it's more extreme. That's when we need to sort of look into it and find out not what just happening with that food, but what deficiencies, what are they missing out on by only just having that. You can have a biscuit a day or, you know, there's certain things you can have, but when you have too much of a good thing for the body, that's when it becomes dependent. Yeah. So I don't want to talk about addictions as such with this podcast, but that's the way the body would start seeing it It becomes dependent on that to to feel good. And that's that. On
0: multiple levels as well, so that the body becomes dependent and that it's trying to scrounge as much nutrient as it possibly can from that food, like white bread. There are a couple of B vitamins in there, so it's scrabbling for those nutrients within that food, so it kind of wants you to eat more. But then we've also got the habit of it. It's easier to make a sandwich than it is to do anything else. Our parents sent us to school, in my case, with a Marmite, not Vegemite. And cheese sandwich literally every single day from the age of five to the age of 18. I had that in an apple for my lunch. So when I see super fresh bread, all I want to do is put butter, mullet and cheese, slap the top on and munch it down. And I know that that is from my childhood, but I'm not doing it every day. I'm not doing it all. I'm doing it very rarely, actually, because I I've not need a lot of bread. <laughs> now become a treat. On the odd occasion, <laughs> but it totally transports me back to my childhood. So the body is grappling to get the nutrient it can from that constant ice. Cream. I don't eat ice cream, but I don't like brain freeze. No other reason. Mm. I don't eat, I don't eat anything super cold. So but the body is scrabbling perhaps in that ice cream for that calcium, for those other few nutrients that are hiding in there because of the processes that ice cream has been through. The brain is going, hey, I'm getting this dopamine hit from the fact that my grandma would give me ice cream before she died or whatever. That oral, there is a total mouth feel to that product as well, because that comes with that emotion. So we've got, say it was granny that gave you the ice cream before granny died. So we've got the emotion of Granny loving us, hugging us. So we've got all of that physical feel in the mouth, the taste in the mouth, the body going, hey, I've got to get the nutrient from this because this is all I'm getting today. We get the dopamine hit because granny gave us a hug when she gave us the ice cream. So there's all it's a huge thing around something we repetitively eat from our childhood. That's a huge gamut that needs to be addressed as to, and that the person needs to be often made aware of. It's like, well, why do you eat that ice cream? What feelings does it give you? What does it remind you of? Well, what else reminds you of Granny? She gave you a hug at the time. So, what else was she doing? She wasn't just giving you ice cream
1: because that well, that's And the, the ice cream's the smallest part of it. It was the whole relationship.
0: So, yeah. Sorry, I did go off on a tangent there, but that's what um, we do best. What we do best. But let's drag it back in again <laughs> and talk about that that nutrition and mental health and that eating of the different foods. You can bring it back because I'm off on a tangent. <laughs> on <the laughs> own the world right now.
1: And that leads us on to the next part I was going to say. It's the, the family and cultural influences of our food, the mood as well. So you gave a good example of grandma giving you the ice cream or something else like that. So that was something that was very nice and like, like a hug and relationship or it could be as simple as, you know, a big family having a big pasta dinner together and it's like everyone in the whole planet in the room kind of thing, because some families are very big, it's like the whole town is there it takes you back to all those elements. So you'll find some people will really enjoy it. It's the cultural aspect. It's the whole avenue of sort of meeting up and greeting and it's like the family barbecue. Like There's all these different examples we can have that brings you back to that cultural aspect. And culture is in background family, but also culture is in the great Australian barbecue. It's a cultural thing that Australia is very well known for. So therefore it's the element of everyone going there and having a good time. Particular like Christmas, New Year's, which we just yeah. celebrated um, last month, things like that that people look forward to. That yeah. I haven't seen someone say it for a long time, and then to, I know blah blah, and they know they're going to have some treats or so they know something's going to be there because it's a family. Yeah, and that's the exciting thing about a lot of this. And then some people's cultural background or their general background is like you're saying white bread, refined foods because that's all that was available. And like where you were saying, the body's scrounging to get the nutrients out of that same food. But having two pieces, you'll have three or four because yeah. the body's craving to get that extra little bit out of something that's not there sometimes. Yeah. And that's the cultural aspect. It's that food nostalgia is another thing we look at is you reminisce I was saying about the chips when you were young or wise, remember that. But sometimes it could have been a great day work or it could have been something else where you just turn around and say, all right, that was a great time to remember. And then all of a sudden you've noticed you're doing something. Other people might have Sunday beer or Sunday coffee or Sunday, you know, something else. And we think, okay, that's a regular ritual kind of effect, but what are they getting out of that? And sometimes it's as simple as someone saying, I'm just having a coffee relaxing. Okay, cool. You're out and about going to the local cafe, supporting the local business. That's great. But sometimes it's that act. They used to do that with someone or it used to be family or, In some cases, it could be none of that, and we'd just, they have just gone out and had a coffee. (laughs) Sometimes we could read deeper into it, and sometimes it is just basically what it is. So I like doing that myself. And it's just a simple process where you go out and just, like I should support local business, get out and about, and you're outside, getting out vitamin D, as you're saying, or UVB radiation for the vitamin D. Traditional whole foods. So we always talk about Mediterranean diet comes up pretty much everywhere with what we do, traditional whole food diets always play a very positive role in me There's so much research we don't have time to talk about. But the whole aspect is if you eat whole foods as much as you can. Yes. So we might say to people, food's high in zinc or food's high in such and such. And that's great because we're looking at a specific nutrient. But that food it is a whole food. Whether it's a nut, a seed, a legging, root or something. That will always have something else in it. But mm-hmm. vitamin C will have the bioflammate. You know what I mean? Like there's always something that's in that food that helps with the absorption or the utilization, the B vitamins together, yeah. that methylation cycle we talked about last time. Yeah. So there are a lot of different aspects or elements, as I've used the word a number of times, a lot of elements to these things that we look at. So we're looking at family situations, positive and negative can lead us to certain areas. And I think if we keep looking at the standard diet, there's a standing point. Whether it's a standard Australian diet, which is sometimes called SAD for short, got to have a joke somewhere. Yeah, that was it. Thanks, everyone. It's um, a dead if you, joke. If you, if you look at that as an element of you know some people's diets. Going to be full of high carbohydrates, high saturated fats, and it's a typical diet because that's what we've been using for a long time now. But if we go back another generation or two, it's not that far back. There's a lot more fruits and vegetables, and a lot more sort of old elements to foods. Yes, some people used to peel off the the skin or different things like that, so bioflavonoids or the lycopene, pariophrocytidins, like in grapes and stuff like that. Sometimes you miss out on some of that nutrient, but not everything. There's like the protect and effect, so people would do that. So if we keep that in mind, I'd like to sort of slowly move us into individual nutrients Mm -hmm. and sort of go through and just sort of give a base drop, I suppose, because again, how many nutrients are there and how many minutes of the day do we have to do the podcast We'll start off with vitamin. It's very well known. Most people in Australia statistically have been shown to have insufficient, maybe not deficient, insufficient vitamin D because the campaign of the 80s, the slip, slop, slap, just come back again, actually worked. It actually made everyone do all that. But then we lacked the vitamin D for the UVB radiation because we weren't going outside. We're wearing so much in protective equipment. It's like we're going into a um, nuclear factory or something like that. We're so covered up. Nothing got through, which is a good thing, but also a bit of a bad thing. So I always say to people, get the UVB radiation. There's a sunrise behind me. Well, that's in Newport Beach, New Sydney. Um, I use that as a background a lot because it made me, takes me back to that day when I was very happy watching the sunrise. And just sort of get that sun, early sun, the afternoon sun. But again, try and keep away from that sort of middle of the day. That comes down to, if I can talk physics for a very quick moment, it's something called the critical angle. So as the sun comes up, the angle changes and then literally once it gets to a certain point, it's like, yeah, the magnifying glass when you used to light up paper, it hits that point and it pierces through the honesty, the stratosphere, et cetera, and hits straight at that critical point and you're getting the direct UVB radiation, what I was saying But if you get the afternoon and the morning sun, you get that refraction and reflection of that. So therefore, you'll get some light scattering in, so it's been bent to scatter in and other times it's reflecting off. And that's why the sunset, and sunrise sun looks different to the day sun because contrary to people's beliefs, the sun is actually white. It's our atmosphere that changes the colors to like reds and oranges, going back to our rainbow song we learned when we were young. All the different colors of the rainbow, the sun changes and it goes up towards the top because of that critical angle change. So if we keep that in mind, we not necessarily stay inside and hide, but go undercover when you go outside and just sort of make sure if you do get some sun, get minus sun during that time, of the day. if you have to change, get into your car, change buildings or something, it's not like a freaking out moment, I must protect myself. It's more, don't stand in the sun for half an hour while you make up your mind where your car is parked. Something <laughs> else like that, sort of get in and out and do what you need to do. Yeah. Vitamin D has a lot of benefits with um, for different differentiation, like I teach. That's so used for tissue to become what it should be, immune system, nervous system, brain, neurotransmitters, vitamin D is involved in most metabolic processes in the body. And that's something that's very exciting about a single vitamin, that it just actually does so much. So if we keep that in mind, a little bit of sudden morning and afternoon, if you need to take a vitamin D supplement, if you are worried, I tend to do up to a thousand of that. I don't prescribe high doses of vitamin D. I might prescribe up to a thousand because that seems to do the job that I want it to do. You're not just looking at that. I'm looking at going outside, getting some fresh air, doing other things, movement. If you actually move, you know, you get the circulation, get the blood flow, and therefore you actually distribute the vitamins and minerals more effectively. So that's a very good one to start with. B vitamins, we mentioned in the last podcast, I went through them all briefly. So B1 to B12 and beyond, <laughs> because sometimes it's choline and inositol and biotin are included in that B complex kind of thing collectively. They work so well with the machinery, the glycolysis, the Krebs cycle, the electron transport chain, the flow, the blood flow, the whole energetics of everything seems to be sort of spark plugged, particularly by B1 and B6 of the spark plugs of the energy pathways in glycolysis. and glycolysis. Then we hit B2 and B3 for the Krebs cycle, B5, which look in biochemistry again, B5 for the um, acyl carrier protein and acetyl-CoA for the fatty acid metabolism. And again, B6 to sort of regulate the whole process. So B6 is a very big regulator. And each one of these will work with cell signaling, cell membrane activity, the cell to cell communication. There's a system that we use in our body that's like an inside out and the an outside in pathway. So if you remember back to concentration gradients and active acid diffusion, you know, all these kind of biochemical stuff, the B vitamins regulate that whole process. If you add more blood glucose outside the cell, it will activate the insulin channels and the chromium chromium, down the concentration gradient. There's less sugar inside the cell, so therefore we need to transport it in. And that's an inside, so that's an outside in. And then there's the inside out where the body cells are saying, we don't have enough of this, we need to activate this pathway, that pathway. So the body's doing that automatically 24 hours a day. It's communicating with itself very well. And when it doesn't communicate well, there's this imbalance, this incoordination. And a good example is when you spin in a circle with your eyes closed and open up, and you, yeah, you know, when ends, you know, spin in a circle, that's the coordination that the cells are going, wait, what's going on? Everything was still. Now it's not still. Everything's moving. What's going on? And the ear and the eyes and everything's trying to communicate with each other and can't. So you fall down. That's the easiest thing to do. And that's what the body can do. It can fall down certain elements and it's not communicating properly and the B vitamins have this way of working that process methylation mm-hmm. transsulfuration detoxification of all the B vitamins and again one we thing- can spend all day on it because it's quite exciting with the B vitamins
0: yeah one thing about the B vitamins one thing that I remember being taught is you know you look at someone and they need a specific vitamin you're thinking you know this person needs B6 or they need B2 or whatever it is but a B vitamin always works better So if you think of those individual B vitamins that you want this person to have because of a specific problem, if you think that they are an orchestra, so Mm. B2 might be the drums and B6 might be the violins, and then you mentioned biotin and the other, and the things that come along for the ride. So sometimes we do need a multivitamin. I'm not big on prescribing multivitamins, multi Bs, but sometimes we do need them because they all support each other. So it's like having the orchestra to support the individual that we need for something specific. So if I'm giving a multi-B, I'm always saying to people, you know what? You don't have to take it every day. Your major stress is Monday to Friday when you're at work. That's what you're telling me. Or your major stress is at the weekend because your children are out and you're worried about them. So you probably need to take this, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and maybe even Tuesday to get over that stress. Or you need to take the Monday to Friday. Because they're going to support this whole system. We've got the orchestra going on. So that's why I always like to think about it. If I do prescribe one, it's because I feel they need the orchestra to support the string section or the drums or the trumpets or whatever it is, the wind section. So it's an interesting lot those B vitamins. So they
1: are and it's a big part of the orchestra and this is when we look at synergy. Yeah. So they all work well together. They agonists, they activate and they work with each other. B2 activates B6, which activates B2, which activates B12. Like all these kind of back and forth, they all work with each other. And so I'm the same. I always try and find them more specific, and then I'll look at the orchestra as well. And if we if we keep that in mind, looking forward, if we always look at the synergists, the agonists, and the antagonists, there's some things don't go well together, so we separate them out. Calcium and magnesium always go well together, but they also go well separately. So there's an example of where you can take both together or add both together or have them at a separate engines today, the they'll work well. So there are some that work very well. Iron is the next one I was sort of looking at, you know, going things things forget about iron. Though I think, you know, iron's just for females or you know, in course of course, menstruation, it's like, no, iron's for everyone. It's very useful because it works on the neurotransmitter backbone, it works in the hormones, it works all that background area. Yes, too much iron can be bad for you. It oxidizes. I want you to imagine you leave an iron pipe outside in the rain, or rust your body's up to 70% water, iron can mm-hmm. rust, essentially leading to oxidative stress. Not rust like we just explained, because it's not going to do that in the body, but it's going to be oxidative and inflammatory. So I don't always prescribe iron every single day. I might do it as a burst for a week and then off for every second day, depending on the person's loss and their absorption, and their whole battery of elements going on there. But at the same time, yeah, I'll look at iron with vitamins that with the B vitamin, but what are the different cofactors for the absorption? Because yeah. the iron changes five times when you consume it. So again, back to chemistry, it starts as a three plus, goes to a two plus in the stomach, and then goes to a three plus in the small intestine, and back to a two plus in the large intestine, and then back to a three plus once it gets into the bloodstream. Yeah. And every single conversion change of that iron molecule needs certain B vitamins, and vitamin C and and all these different nutrients to absorb. So again, does the person need iron or do they need better digestive capacity stomach acids, enzymes? Do they need the microbiome looked at? Do they need to have probiotics with this to help sure. you? Add? Do they need to look at intestinal permeability issues? They're not absorbing it properly. So there's all these different aspects of iron that I don't always jump to iron. I have iron in the back of my mind, but I may not always prescribe iron straight up because it could be you know, negative for some people. particularly with hemochromatosis. Yeah. You don't want to be prescribing that. And the way how you know if someone has seen chromatosis is they'll probably tell you Yes, it been diagnosed. It's not a common thing for people to talk about over a coffee. So it's something they've actually had health issues, had it investigated and it was found out. So they'll tell you in your initial conversation of the consultation that there is a, a history there, there is an issue, and then you prescribe with and without based on that. Magnesium I alluded to earlier, magnesium's a favorite of a lot of people because it's three hundred enzymes plus, it just does so much. Yeah. muscle contraction, relaxation—it does both at the same time, which sounds exciting for people. Just to the brief, the muscle slides, doesn't? You know, when you book, oh, I can't do biceps because I don't really have any. I don't have any muscle. There.
0: Right, no, we have both got shirt sleeves on, so no yeah. one can see our biceps. if They that's, were oh, that's right. on YouTube. That's—we that's right. both have incredible muscle structure, but we're both wearing sleeves, so no one can yeah. see we're, that.
1: We don't want to show off too much. Yep. So when the muscle doesn't bunch up like people think when you flex, it actually slides in. So to slide in, you need, people normally say calcium for contraction, CNC, magnesium for relaxation, but you actually need both. They need calcium for contraction, but the magnesium to bring the calcium in, the calcium flux, and then for relaxation, you need the magnesium and the calcium to draw that in. And in between that, you have the Z-disc, in which nutrient is required for the Z-disc. But with a Z, think, That was um, a moment for our listeners to think, ah, zinc, it works for the Z-disc and that's like the clicking switch. That yep. allows for that muscle contraction to occur, and potassium is the mineral that drives the, you know, the osmosis factor, you know, drawing the tissue in and out. So you can prescribe a magnesium for muscle cramps, or all or some of the above. So, and muscle cramps, of course, they're in a lot of stress conditions, a lot of nervous system, mental health. You know, a lot of people are tight and constricted, and magnesium is one of the good relaxers. So again, it's also in the background of energy metabolism, Krebs cycle, but also relaxation, relaxation of the muscles, relaxation of nerves, relaxation of oh, nerve no potential. You've got the synapse and the inflammation going across can be too quick. So you need to slow that down in some people. And that's the exciting part of that. Magnesium, you can slow people down without slowing them down. Calm down their system without slowing them down. Magnesium, I like to provide a couple hundred milligrams at different doses, sometimes three times a day, twice a day, depending on the chosen course. Pretty good seems so the key with magnesium over time.
0: I have a tendency with magnesium to do two different mixes. So they feel it lasts longer as well because one pot will only last two doses per day. You've got less than a month's supply sometimes. Whereas if we give two different magnesiums and we've got one, like a a daytime one, perhaps with some bees in it or something else that's going to help with the daytime. And then we have like a sleep one with some glycine in it and some of those calming nighttime nutrients so that they have two magnesiums, yes. So they're buying two products, but ultimately it's going to last them longer. So it's going to last them the two months rather than the one month as one pot would twice a day. But it means that we get that variety. Because you've got your different types of magnesium and they're two different companies would use two different background products. So you're really, you look outside the square. What Mm. does this person need? This person's stressed, they've got mental health issues, they're not sleeping well. Well, maybe they're sleeping too long, but is it good sleep? Do they feel rested? Maybe they don't feel rested, in which case maybe a sleep magnesium with some glycine and L-theanine and things like that are really going to help that sleep. So in the morning they get up. It's kind of like uppers and downers. It's kind of like what was it back in the day? Everybody had a benzo and, a, and like a sleep.
1: They had a <laughs> bed so good lie down. Yeah, that was the same. And they were
0: all everyone was super medicated. But it's kind of a little bit like that. But at the same time, we're getting those different types of magnesiums, and we're getting those other nutrients in in a different way. And they're getting that water. They're
1: getting and that's that. what I like about the magnesium powders. So yeah. and. I like how you went into this because, you know, with the morning one, you can have some ginsengs and yeah. rhodiola and ashwagandha, for example. We talk about that in the different podcast, but there are different herbs you can mix in there and different nutrients. For the night one, we have passion passionflower and lemon balm and glycine and yeah, nice sort of calm and relaxing and sort of not put you out, but nice, relaxing, calming you into sleep. Yeah. That's another element I don't work with as I don't force sleep or force knocking someone out. I always sort of work on the elements of relaxation and calming and relaxing and just overall that way. But no, it's a good combination that we just talked about. And there are some products on the market that we won't talk about. We don't do branding. But there are some products out there with those ingredients in there that you can talk with your health professional about or available online in stores. People around. Yeah. So you can go looking for these. Yeah. Where would we be without zinc? Yeah. But we look at zinc and matching that up with the magnesium, which the neurotransmitters, the cell-to-cell communication, the different hormones and melatonins and mm-hmm. neurotonins, all the onions, got you call them, I mean. working well together. And the zinc, magnesium, yeah. work very well, particularly with B6 and regulating a lot of these pathways. So keep that in mind. Again, there are some products out there that already have these ingredients in there that you can work with or we should compound and go to a natural naturopathic nutritionist and have it compounded if, if they do that. What
0: I do do with my zinc is I get clients to have it at night because it's an antagonist to things like iron. So we don't want to have it necessarily in the daytime. And if I want them to have it as, as a single, I will actually get a multi, if that makes sense. So I'll make sure there's like an amino acid chelate in there or a citrate, you know, so that there's at least more than one type of zinc in the pot. Mm-hmm but it does say zinc on the front. You turn around the back and you have a look and it'll say amino acid or citrate. But it's got a couple of different varieties in there because that's going to help absorption because somebody might be better at absorbing one style than another. And how do you figure that out? You know, yeah, MTHFR, we can go back there. We can go back to all of these other testings and go, oh, it's only picolinate. No, it's not only picolinate. It's all of, it's the orchestra. It's, it's the orchestra. And that that's
1: something we'll be talking about generally throughout because it's the way we like to see it. There's an orchestra and there's part of the orchestra, then there's the director and the director's different for each yeah, you know, health exactly. condition. It could be yeah. these six, it could be zinc, it could be magnesium, or it could actually mm-hmm. be saffron or something. Mm-hmm. So I like to look at a lot of these as a way of working out the balance of that orchestra, working out how we can actually make it work more in synergy with each other. Because yeah. when an orchestra is playing beautifully, it's the most beautiful sound. When one person's out, you can sometimes tell and if you really listen, but when a couple of them are out of sync, you can definitely tell. So, and they spend many, many, many years and sometimes decades to get that right. So with us, it won't happen overnight. No. Taking magnesium, but however, there may be a difference. You may feel at first dose, so at the first time you change a mild diet change, you notice it straight away. And that's the exciting thing. You notice big changes, little changes all different times. What else can we look at zinc? i just look to my side quickly just to see if I skipped anything. That uh, the cell signaling, the cell membrane, et cetera, all different backgrounds, anti inflammatory, antioxidant. Everyone has inflammation. Everyone has oxidative stress. I'll make a point of this now because it's natural. It's mm-hmm. normal metabolic processing. We actually mm-hmm. need it. If you hurt your ankle while running, you need that inflammation to start the healing and repair process. But if that oxidative stress inflammation keeps going, then you get damaged and you don't get the repair you need. People were saying go to the gym doing your bicep curls and stuff, you need that insulation, oxidative stress to perform growth. Without that, it won't happen. So you actually do need it. But when it's too much fire in that area, that's when there's a big problem. Omega-3, I have a bit of a love for Omega-3. It's where I did my PhD. So my PhD was on the effect of Omega-3 in platelet function and coagulation. I would have loved to have done it. And mental health as well, but sometimes <laughs> to finish a PhD and get your piece of paper and move on to the next because you can keep going if you want. And what doesn't it do? Yes, you've got your plate refunction, coagulation, your blood flow, cell signaling, cell membrane activity. It's just so much. And that's the exciting thing about omega-3 is I can think about it in so many different avenues because I see it as a good background molecule. And yes, you can use the omega-3 from fish, as we normally do. Nuts and seeds have omega-3 and there's always someone who will say, you don't metabolize as much, it's only X percent. I'm like... That's fine. Okay, Just sort of move on. <laughs> I don't know, argue. However, those nutrients also have zinc, magnesium, B six with the omega three with the alpha linoleic acid, linolenic acid, I should say, and that's where people don't metabolise it effectively. Called flat seed, or linseed, depending on northern and southern hemisphere. Where if you put it on your cricket bat. There's all those different you know, aspects. There's a number of like algae we can use, a number of other plants that we can use that have good omega three content. That we can utilize. So I like to think we can look at a lot of vegetarian slash vegan sources as well as the standard fish. Yeah. And when we look at fish, farmed fish is not always a good idea because they get given the omega three. That's to me, it's like an artificial effect. But if you have ocean caught outside in the real world and it's farmed sustainably, I'll use that way. It's farmed, not the way traditional farming is. They have a location in the ocean that they're only allowed to get their fish from. Yeah. For example, same thing with krill and other algae. You're only allowed to get it from certain areas so you don't deplete the rest of the ocean. Yeah. So we have to look at sustainable friends of the ocean, friends of the sea. There's a couple of these different things that you can look at on the label of a product to see if they're a member of to show that they actually are using the right omega three. And there are a number of higher quality. I go for a high concentrate, yeah. Um, omega three because then I know it's concentrated, it's more purified and filtered. And something to note in Australia is that every single product. Therapeutic products live the in is tested for heavy metals. So whether it says it on the label, some brands will say, heavy metal tested, you know, cool. So I won't use this other brand, but they all are. They actually have to pass it. Not only are they tested, so I'll talk about Therapeutic goods for a moment, not only are they tested, they must pass that testing to be released for supply to the public. If they don't pass, guess what happens? It gets rejected and literally thrown out. It gets wasted because it didn't pass and it's a health risk. Same thing with nutrients. If it says on the label that it's got 50 milligrams, it has to have 50 milligrams throughout our lifespan. So there's all these different elements of products in Australia that are properly tested and we allow for that. So I'm just thinking, what else can we talk about for nutrition before we move on to our...
0: With the omegas is, that's another thing. I give zinc at night and I give yes. omegas at night because if when the person turns around to you and says, oh, I don't like, you know, you get that fishy burp. Well, that's their digestion. So while we're working on their digestion, they can't take it in the day. But if they take it at bedtime and you've worked on sleep and they can get to sleep, and then they're going to sleep through the burps. They're not going to have them. They will be able to sleep through the digestion of those omegas, sleep through the digestion of that zinc if they don't like the smell of it. And you like, nah, I still think you need a little bit occasionally. Let's try and get in at night then when you're going to sleep on it and you're not even going to know.
1: And that's the thing to remember. It's a lot of the time it's a person's digestion. So I've had people say, I take zinc and I get heartburn. I'm like, well, did you have it on an empty stomach? Yeah. And they're like, yes. And I go, well, that's why. And I go, what do you mean? And I say, well, zinc activates the enzyme pathways to gastric acids. It actually activates your digestion and you've got nothing in there. Therefore, it's digesting nothing. So therefore, you're going to get your reflux in your mm-hmm. body. So have had the zinc after or with your food, yep. as most things. Probiotics, with without food, there's always a big debate about probiotics because there's a lot of good research on probiotics for mental health, like yeah. depression, anxiety, stress. There's a lot of good research there. Yeah. And I always say to people, take it with your food because it's easier for you to remember. But in some cases, empty stomach and a capsule is fine. Yeah. It just comes down to what are you doing? Is it gastritis or, is it, you know what I mean? Like what are you treating? That's probiotics that are different. For most people, just have it with a meal because I know people are going to take it. And that's the element, and that's something we can talk about with different case studies and, and case histories is most people will typically do what you ask them to do because it's it's like a compliance thing, that adherence, I suppose, where people want to actually get healthy and get better. It's how you explain it to people. If you Why say to someone, take this three times a day, that's not helpful. But if you say, take one capsule, one dose, one scoop or whatever weird water, like if you actually describe it and get the information out, people will actually... More what I to do, not do it.
0: What I do as well is when I want them to have something three times a day, I want them to have it with meals. I'm like, Well, do you have a condiments tray on your table? Where do you eat your lunch? Oh, I eat at the table or I eat my breakfast or what's the first thing you do in the morning? Oh, I put the kettle on. Can you put it by the kettle? Can you put it on that table in front of you so that when you go to eat, you have it. If you take your lunchbox to work, can you pop it in something in the lunchbox so it's right there and you take it right then? It's one of the reasons I'm not keen when I look at people who are really busy, really stressed, anything refrigerated. I try to go totally away from refrigerated because they're going to forget. I've got to open the fridge and they're just not going to open the fridge to look for your product. Whereas if they go to the kettle, because people have habits, they wake in the morning, I have a coffee first thing in the morning. I now luxuriate over my coffee because I have no children to send to school anymore. And then later on in the day, I might have a cup of tea. So if I was, but I work from home, so... I have set things so my magnesium, my night magnesium, is actually on the table on the condiments tray because last thing at night I fill my water bottle to take to bed with me, and so I see it. I'm like, oh yeah, I've got to have my magnesium, I've got to have my glycine, I've got to have my to help me sleep, and so they're right there on the dining room table And I head to the. I've got to walk past it to get to the sink to fill the bottle from the filtered water. So there's certain things when we're talking to our clients where. What makes it logical for you to take this product at this time with this thing or without this thing away on an empty stomach, like at nighttime? You know, so if I want someone taking a probiotic that's prescribed, you know, they say have it at night before bed or half an hour before bed. Well, what do you do half an hour before bed? You brush your teeth.
1: That's it. It's it's part of the the process. Some people would say ritual. Yeah, it's part of the process that we do the same thing. You would nearly get up the same time every day and yeah. nearly go to bed the same time every day. Like every, we're very process wise. Yeah. And that comes down to our biochemistry. Well, mm-hmm. so if I say, okay, we've got person X in front of us and they've got mm-hmm. stress, anxiety, nervous tension, and a big busy day hard to come by mm-hmm. time-wise, you go, well, okay, what can we do? Okay, we've organized a B-complex, sing magnesium powder in the morning, mm-hmm. nice blend. Yeah, Have that when you get up. Because by the time you eat, it's already in the system you're eating, so you don't have to worry about. Yeah, if there's in it's not going to be any major reflux or anything anyway, cause make these a little buffer, but at the same time you can have that. Then you make your breakfast way, way, big coffee or get mm-hmm. on the bottle or something else like that. Dinner time or after dinner, you've got a nice magnesium powder with some magnesium, passion flower, lemon balm, mm-hmm. sort of glycine, nice relaxing blend. Going, when can we have that. Okay. Well, do you have trouble getting to sleep or staying asleep? So if it's getting to sleep half hour before, if it's staying asleep, anywhere after. But then start up this ritual, have it next to the bedside, we'll have it on the table, have it on somewhere where it's actually going to spot. And you can look at it and go, ah, that's right. I need to take that. It's that time of day. And sometimes it's as simple as racking and stacking, as I call it, where it's all sitting next to you on the dinner table. And that's where you have breakfast and dinner. So it it's twice a day, it's right in front of you. It's three times a day, not exactly the same. So there are different aspects that we need to look at with simple regards. People like using sachets because that way they can take it to work with a, like a magnesium energy or sleep powder sachet or something. Yes, that's very good as well because it's a process of tearing open. You won't leave your tub at home. You won't leave the tub at work and then have an excuse for missing a dose. Yeah. So there's different ways. So normally when we prescribe, and you and I have been doing this for a long time, we take the person into account and we say, all right, this person's very, very busy. You're going to get it at work. They're not. They don't have any time. So I got a case study here where I had a patient, high up businessman, a CEO, can't get much more away, sort of well-known in, in the circles. And he was having 40 cups of coffee a day, 4-0, yeah. 40 a day. He had the best executive assistant ever. Each one had two sugars. So he was having nearly half a kilo of sugar a day. So he wasn't eating much. He slept well, interestingly. Weight went up and down a little bit, sort of that's something he'd noticed because every now and then he'd even have a big business lunch with wine and steak and everything, but she didn't eat a large lunch, so his stomach wasn't good for it. So this guy was very, very busy. And I said, right, well, what can we do? We can't have 40 cups of coffee a day. Some people don't have 40 cups of anything a day. So I put this to the student clinic, and I've done this at seminars and conferences, and a lot of people might say, oh, we need to cut his coffee consumption in half. And I'm like, well, no, that would crash him. Because you're so used to one the process, but also that amount of caffeine and sugar, so we slightly reduced the caffeine with you know decaffeinated or a green tea, which is not as high. You just slowly substitute over time. But while you do that, you need to have the B vitamins, you need to have magnesium, because not necessarily going to have side effects or withdrawals, but you're going to have they're not going to feel too good for parts of this. And then you, you know some ashwagandha for nervous system, rhodiola, saffron that we'll talk about soon. All these herbs along with the vitamins and minerals really help support his nervous system. He comes back two weeks later and he's feeling all right. He's knocked a couple of coffees out and sort of exchanged, ain't good, keep going. I'm not going to change anything because you actually do very well because I change every appointment. What well, people do because as they improve, you don't do the same thing. Yeah. But with him, i like, I need something static in his prescription because he's changing everything else. So I need something else to balance him. Comes back another two weeks, and he's like, oh, I've dropped 10 coffees. I went, wow, what did you replace them with? And he went, water. And I'm like, oh, whoa, yeah, this is cool. So I'm getting quite excited because he's doing these, because I said to him he needs to drink more water to exchange. Because it sounds funny, people I say caffeine's a diuretic, I'll do a side project for a second, and it's really bad for you, it's diuretic, you need to replace it. But that's caffeine in a capsule or the drug itself. But if you're having caffeine in a tea or coffee, there is water in there, maybe some milk as well. So you actually are hydrating what you're losing at the same time. So it's a slight give and take. Yeah. You are hydrating. We've got to get that debate out right now for everyone. Yeah. Done. I can feel little good now. So he was having some water in there and that helped him a lot. Then he comes back another two weeks later and he's like, this is great. I'm down to 10 coffees a day. I'm having water. I'm having a green tea. I'm having a chamomile tea in the afternoon. I'm like, cool. I didn't mention that, but well done. That was my next phase. He already started yep. on his own. And then the next two weeks, it was down to a handful and still having his waters and everything else like that. So that took not long compared to what you would expect for some people. And now I think partly because he was driven. Yep. He was a busy businessman. He had a lot to do. And he was very good at what he did, though it was easier to turn around and make changes because he did it. And the only reason why we found out, because we we're trying to figure out how many coffees he had, is because of his executive assistant would keep topping him up and bringing in papers for him. And like, she was, she was a brilliant person, but didn't realize what she was doing because she was just doing it automatically. Yeah. So once that was found out, she changed a little bit what she was doing. She'd always have a glass of water on his desk. And then he'd have estrogen war, he'd get up because he'd sit down a lot. So he'd actually get up and make things and do things himself. And he wasn't lazy at all. No, He was just a busy businessman from that hour to that hour. And he went for a walk each day and he did other things that were seen as good for him that probably kept him going. Yeah. But that's just a quick example of how something that would have taken probably a year yeah. took like eight weeks yeah. to make a big difference. And he was a good patient for a long period of time. He is, I should he's still around. Uh, I don't see him that often because he's well. Yeah. And that's the thing. The, the aim is to get people better and get people well. And then we used as the, the preventive medicine style and just to keep
0: the, track. I've got a coffee story too from a client when I was a student. And it's a very similar, it's the asking. So he didn't know how much coffee he was having. His secretary or person, his PA, worked it out for him that this is how much I'm giving you over the day. And I had a woman... In my student clinic, so however many moons ago that was, twenty years ago, and I, she had palpitations. She was anxious, and she was a refugee from um, the Yugoslav Kosovo conflict, and so she'd been through absolutely horrific, horrific, horrific things. And then she came to student clinic, and she said um, she had all these palpitations. And we had a translator, and they said, "I said, how many coffees do you have a day?" She said, "I have one coffee a day." okay. And she came back a, a week later and I'd increased the water and I, I hadn't really had to change the food because she was eating really well. She had really good Mediterranean diet, you, you know, considering Yugoslavs actually have quite a lot of fried food and things. She didn't, she had a very good diet. And so I hadn't had to change a lot, but I tried to increase the water because she's not drinking any water. So I tried to increase the water. So she came back and she said she was feeling a little bit better, but she was still really, you know, the palpitations were still there and different translator. I said, Oh, How many coffees are you having? Because I couldn't see it on my piece of paper. I was like, oh, how many coffees are you having? Are you having one coffee? Um, Or could you clarify that, translate her? And then suddenly they're having this huge conversation over one little question. I'm like, hello, can somebody help me out here? What's going on? She had one coffee a day because in Europe, she would make like the Turkish coffee, the pot. So Mm -hmm. it's got this huge amount of coffee in the bottom and it boils up. So a lot of family prior to the trauma, and so there was very little family left. So everyone would drink from the pot. Everyone would have coffee. So she'd have literally one coffee, but in Australia, she had the same coffee pot, but she didn't have all that family. They'd all been shot. So she would just keep drinking, and she was drinking a pot. So it was one coffee, but it was one pot of coffee. So we're having that same conversation, finding out what the person does through these subtleties of conversation, and then replace so then i started to replace with water the palpitations went away etc you know the trauma didn't go away but the palpitations went away so it's the same thing let's ask those questions and you know let's find out what's going on in the background for these people and how do we discover that and in this gentleman's case it was from his assistant who was able to say, yeah, I do three pots of coffee through the day because that's what I'm giving you. That works out at 40 or five pots of coffee I have to refresh or I buy X amount of coffee each week to keep us going in the office.
1: And that comes down to asking the right questions and digging deeper. So it's not like, well, people can forget. And it's not like they're lying either when they say one. It's just what they recognize. So I asked this guy and he couldn't tell me how many he had. We had to work it out because he wasn't making them. They will be made. Yeah. And it's not like, like I was saying, he couldn't do it himself or anything. It's just he was so busy. That was his work. His workload was so high that people did things. But he used to have lunches and do timeouts. But that was the big element of his process was the coffees were always there. So it shows that, you know, you ask the right questions, you get the right answers, or sometimes Mm -hmm. not. And then we can make a big difference by changing one small aspect to make large benefits in people. I didn't think about nutrition.
0: Can we wind today up? I think we could probably put anything we've forgotten into next week's episode because today's been great. I've really enjoyed having you back again and I will see you again on the podcast next week. And listeners, if you're enjoying it, don't forget to check the show notes because that's where you'll find all of Brad's links and uh, make sure you subscribe and give a five-star review. We do like five-star reviews. If you want less than five stars, don't do it. That's what I say so it's been great that you stayed to the end and thank you so much Brad and I will look forward to seeing you again next week see ya thank you thanks so much for joining me today don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast for the weekly episodes if you'd like even more support and learning then the academy is for you here you'll find part two of the herbal discussions more clinical learning and case studies to support your clients in practice bye for now